Welcome to the Next Level Podcast. I'm Tim Miller. This week we have Jen Saki. Sarah does it with me. We discuss so much politics that you guys don't need any bonus. So we're going to get right into it. Her show, Inside with Jen Saki, is on MSNBC every Sunday at 12 noon. So if you're listening to this right when it comes out, you can just pop on over and watch her on MSNBC, interview Jamie Raskin at 12. And otherwise, make sure to catch her every Sunday. This is a great convo. You're really going to enjoy it. First, our friends at Aceton. Peace. Hello, welcome back to the Next Level Podcast. I'm Tim Miller with my BFF, Sarah Longwell, and an old acquaintance, not quite frenemy, I wouldn't say, pal, DC cocktail circuit pal from the other side back then on the same side now, Jen Psaki. You might know her from being the White House press secretary, and now she is inside with Jen Psaki on MSNBC at 12 on Sunday. Two hours from now, she'll be talking to Jamie Raskin, so you should check it out. Jen, thank you for doing this. Thank you. Good to see you. Hope you consider me like we're moving on the road to friendship and that when you're at a DC cocktail party, you look at me and you think, oh, that's a normal person I can talk to at this event. I do feel that way. We all need these people in our life. Yeah, I have the DC cocktail circuit friend that's like, we call them friend in DC, but they're like not really a friend, but they're the person that when you see them at the party, you're like, oh, I can talk to that person and that won't be painful. And so that's where we started. That was a good base to start from, but we can grow. We're going to build. Sarah, where are you at? Well, I was just going to say after what, I don't know, 15 years of friendship with Tim, I can just say it's like slightly overrated. So don't like, you know, get so excited. It's pretty good, though. I'll tamp down my excitement, Sarah. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you'll indulge us, this edition of the Bulwark podcast, we try to, you know, do a little bit career stuff, keep it a little lighter. We're going to do politics at the end. We got to do politics, you know, because we're all in politics. I figured we'd start here, if it's okay with you, Jen. Um, Me and Sarah both dreamed in our beds when we were growing up of becoming the White House press secretary. We thought about it. We fantasized about it. We imagined what it would be like. We had prep questions. The stuffed animals were tough journalists. Neither of us will ever achieve that. So true. Because our party nominated an insane, yeah, well, we're young, but who's going to hire us? Cop on over to the other side, guys. I think we have a little too much baggage. Oh, yeah. This is what I've found is that the Democrats are eager to have former Republicans become their national spokespeople (laughs) at the White House. I've I've heard that. I know more about Sarah's resume than you do. I don't (laughs) think it's going to happen. So anyway, (laughs) let us live vicariously through you. Day one, you walk in, you're about to brief. What did it feel like? Just walk us through it. Day one. Yes. Let me just start with day one, because remember, it was just a few weeks after January 6th. So Mm. we actually couldn't even drive to the White House because the security perimeters were so extensive and expanded. And they were legitimately worried about all of us traveling around the White House because there was a lot of uncertainty then. So put a little damper on it is what you're saying. Well, that and COVID. So there were a few downers when I started. We actually met at the zoo, the National Zoo. Love the zoo. I love the zoo, too. We all got on buses at the National Zoo and watched the inauguration on our phones on the way there. So that was really how my day started, including watching uh, Lady Gaga. Love her. You know, on your phone, it's so small. So it's like, I don't know if you remember she had, I don't know if it was a bird. I think it was a dove. I thought it was an eagle. I wasn't sure on her dress, but we all watched that on the way. Because I had worked there before and had worked at the White House during the Obama administration on and off for eight years, 
And when I'd walked in there working for Obama, I was had just I think had just turned 30. So a number of years, two kids, marriage, lots of things had passed. And I don't know if this is imposter syndrome or what it is. You revert back to like, I'm about to walk out to do the briefing and I'm thinking, does Robert Gibbs know I'm doing this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> now I'm a manual and I'm about to go do the briefing. Is this allowed? Um, and we actually did a briefing on the first night because we wanted to reset from the Trump administration and kind of send this message that the value of the press, the value of the briefing room, the value of having disagreements without yelling at each other or calling them liars. And so we did it on purpose, but it was a little hectic the first day because, you know, there was hardly any of us there. We were just trying to make sure we could open the door. But I was thinking to myself, as long as I don't screw up today, I can screw up in a few months. It was like my deal. So it was a range of emotions. Kareen and I did a little shimmy beforehand, which is on video somewhere just to kind of get the nerves out. It was a lot kind of flowing through me that day. So before this, did you know you were going to be the press secretary? Like when Biden won, were you like, this is mine? No. Oh, God, no, 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 no. And since we're talking career, and I'm sure you guys have had these moments too, including candidates we've worked for who lost or jobs you wanted you didn't get. I got a lot of those. (laughs) Yeah, right. We've all been there for all of those things. And I like to say the bridesmaid twice, then never the bride. I don't know if that's the right analogy. (laughs) But I was the runner up for the press secretary job twice during the Obama administration. And I really especially the second time, really was like, I really want this job. I didn't get the job. All fine. Josh Ernest, amazing, wonderful, great at the job person. But I never thought that it would be an option for me again, not in a depressing way, just because like I'd worked for Obama. I'd been there. What was it? So I had been working at the Carnegie Endowment and CNN doing a couple different things. And when we got to the summer of 2020, even though we didn't know what the outcome was going to be, I, like many people, felt like, I want to do something and I don't know what the thing is. And, you know, as communications people, we have a a limited range of skill sets. So limited. You aren't going to be deputy secretary of commerce. (laughs) No one's going to bring me into the transition to solve COVID, right? So I was like, (laughs) what can I do to contribute to this? And Jeff Zients, who's been a longtime mentor of mine, Anita Dunn, I kind of called both of them and said, how can I help? Can I help a nominee? There's something called Sherpas where you help a nominee through. Can I help a nominee can I, do, you know, you volunteer, can I do something? And they were like, sure, let's think about it. And we'll come back. And they came back and they were like, how about you run the war room? I was like, okay. <laughs> so I did that. And then at some point during the transition, Ron Klain said, the press are attacking us for not doing briefings. We were all working from home. I was like in my slippers, you know, right. he's like, can you just do a briefing or something tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, no problem. We'll just like whip up a briefing in my slippers. So I did a couple of those. So it it wasn't anything that I thought would be an option or I I wasn't pursuing anything. I just kind of I wanted to do something because I felt a little powerless in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And then at some point, Anita Dunn just asked me if I was interested. I don't know if you know, for anyone who doesn't know Anita well, she's like a direct to the point person, right? Yeah. I said, oh, that would be interesting. I got to talk to my family. A couple of days later, she called. There's like no conversation between. And then she's like, can you just drive him to Delaware and see um, the president-elect tomorrow? And I was like, okay. So I'm like a prepare. So I'm like, South China Sea. Like, what, what should right. I know about all the things? Everything about politics. I'm like, what will yeah. he ask me about? I have no idea. We sit down. We had this like wide-ranging conversation, which was really largely about the resetting and kind of the tone. And even for people who don't like him, and I do like him, of course, but he is somebody who's a very decently good human being and felt concerned about the fraying of nerves in the country, right? And that moment. And 
of course, we want to be truthful. We want to push back when things are absurd. That's an important part of that job. But especially when I came in, it was about also taking the temperature down. And that was something he conveyed to me uh, in that discussion. And at the end of the discussion, he said, well, thanks for doing this. And I was like, wait, what? I don't know. So because it's a job that it's like a dream, right? But I didn't really believe until it was announced that I was going to do the job, if that makes sense. I didn't really, I didn't tell anyone. Like when it was announced, my dad called me and he was like, what's happening? You know, it's like I didn't even. You didn't warn your dad? No. <laughs> he was going to be so proud. I'm a good secret keeper, I guess. But I didn't even believe it until the press release went out. It's the, it's the long version of that story. That was good. I do feel like I got to live vicariously through that. I could imagine that happening for me in a yeah. different universe where Mitt Romney had won. Yeah. What, I don't know. Who's the president now in our alternative Republican universe, Tim? Mitt Romney, Kennedy. In this totally fantasy universe? Yeah, I guess yeah. it's Elise Stefanik, and she's a moderate that's center-right. Right. Elise, that's and she right. calls that in is... Sarah. She wants a woman, you know? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. It's coming right now, I guess. It'd be coming up in 2024. It'd be yeah. Bizarro Elise. You know, not yeah. MAGA Elise, but like old, old, never Trump rhino, cuckish Elise, like she was with me. What a soothing alternative universe. But this is the problem for us is we sort of live in on this earth, too, where like we saw a future yeah. that looked like that. No. Yeah, that's not where we are. You may have noticed. My dad voted for Republicans his whole life until I mean, he was a Northeastern Republican um, and then was one of those people who just at a certain point, one of those people one of us felt people. like the party left him. When did he break? Did he vote for McCain? Well, this is arguable. It's funny. He lies about who he voted for? No, they... He claims he voted for Al Gore. Okay. I'm like, I don't know about that. I think it was okay. much, much later okay. than that. It doesn't matter. The point is, he yeah. was like in his 60s, right? When he was like, I'm not sure this is all for me anymore. Well, he's welcome at the bulwark anytime. Maybe we should have yeah. him on next time. That sounds, sounds good. He's, yeah, he's among our people. Yeah. Do you have one that you want to take back? Do you look back at your, I'm going to take you down a peg now. We've talked about how glorious it was. Do you look back at being behind the podium being like, boy, I bungled that one? Oh, God, I one. I mean, dozens. Are there any ones that make you sweat, though, just thinking about them now? You know, you're just like, ugh. Oh, God, yes, of course. I mean, first of all, on my first day, as much as I made a deal with the, something, I wouldn't screw up. I was asked about whether... President Biden had confidence in the FBI director. And honestly, I had not discussed that with him. So I said that. And then it was like this whole thing about how he doesn't have confidence in the FBI director, which was not based on anything. It was just that I literally had not talked with him about it. I really kind of got a little flippant about the Space Force once, which does really important work. That was your best answer, actually. I, that's fine that you bring that up. But uh, if you're if you doing your highlight reel, from my perspective, it was the Space Force was stupid. OK, you're not on the government payroll anymore. It was stupid. You can say that's it. true. I took a bruising from uh, the Democratic Party and others on an answer I gave on COVID tests. The context of it was the 17th question during the briefing, which you don't see because nobody watches the whole briefing. They just see what's online. It was a 17th question. And Mara Lyason, a very good reporter, but that day, just it was like question 17, was like, asked me something. And I was like, what do you want us to do? Just send a test to every American. And then, of course, like I was like, I remember that answer. I was like the most <laughs> evil person on the planet. People had known me for 20 years, like, to, like made it sound like I wanted to like eat children. <laughs> Now, the truth is, it was flippant and I didn't handle it well. We also didn't send tests to every American. We made it possible for people to order tests, which was good. We did have an, an under number of tests, which we shouldn't have had. So that was a bungle. Yeah, you have bungles all the time when you're like, ah, ah, that was not great. Just stakes are different. 
But even now, every time I do a show, I'm like, I wish I would have said that or asked that question or whatever, you know? Well, I want to go to MSNBC, though. Sarah, do you, do, is there anything else? Do you have any, any dreams deferred you want to ask about before I move on? I would just say as somebody who imagines myself in that role often, I have people that I thought were good at this job and people that I think were not good at the job. I thought you were very good at the job. Thank you. I have said this like a million times of like, Jen Psaki is a very good communicator. Democrats, on the other hand, and I would say like broadly this administration were, are not. And I would love to get into that, but we don't have to do Let's it Let's just right do it. That's fine. We, we don't, whatever. It's our podcast. Go for it. We can change the rundown. We don't have 18 producers like right. Jen Psaki That's does right. on Inside Jen Psaki at 12 p.m. on Sunday. I certainly <laughs> do not. Let's not start rumors So here's here. the thing, right? So when you're up there... You parry with people. You were incredibly prepared. You were poised. You didn't get ruffled that often. I'm not surprised that, like, the ones that haunt you are the ones where you just got to flip because normally you're, you're good. And yet, overall, I have never understood why the Biden administration doesn't have more surrogates. Like, you ended up being the voice, the only voice, when, like, what Trump did was much more, A, Trump was the big communicator, and he's a stupid communicator, but he is relentless, and he is clear, and what he did was he would do things like, you know, greatest economy for black people, greatest economy for women, greatest economy for Hispanics, how's your 401k doing? And then every other person in the Republican Party would say the exact same thing that he did and would say it over and over again. I'm looking at the new inflation numbers that came out, you know, 12th straight quarter with uh, inflation coming down. The economy's actually doing much better than people had anticipated. And yet the good news never seems to break through. And like, tell me why. Oh, gosh. Well, this is not the only challenge, but one of them is that in the Democratic Party, in my experience, having worked in it and worked in communications for 20 years in it, there is a resistance to parroting talking points and parroting message. And part big umbrella, part people don't like to be told what to say. I mean, I think it's very effective when people do that. I mean, President Biden would love it, at least when I was there over a year ago, if there were a lot of senators, members of Congress, surrogates out on TV echoing message, echoing the inflation numbers, echoing his accomplishments, echoing what bills accomplished and did. It is very, very difficult to do that. Why that is, I wish I had a magical answer to that. Um, It's not the only reason. I'm just saying that is one thing I saw when I worked there internally. Is there a good mechanism for making that happen? That's probably a separate question. That's an important one. I don't think Democrats are the only ones guilty of this, but you guys can, you know, agree or disagree with me. There is a professoring of things, of explaining things that makes it inaccessible to people and speaking in a way, in a language that does not invite people to be a part of the conversation. You know, I mean, it's like if you were using intersectionality in a speech, people are going to tune out and not want to listen to you. I even think if you're talking about the Paris climate agreements, people are like, what in the hell are you talking about? Now, Sarah, I feel like I have like a thousand questions for you always not to be like a super fan about like how people consume things. But you like have done so many focus groups about stuff like this. But my take is sometimes there is an intellectual elitism, ironically at times, about how not just Democrats, but sometimes talk about issues that makes it inaccessible and hard to understand. There's other issues, but those are two of mine just to put on the plate. So I agree with that. It's like you don't have to have talking points. Just say good economy one billion times. Like the economy is as much a psychological, like it is a thing people experience and they are experiencing it in some difficult ways, right? Like it's still, people's rents are still going up and, but like 
macro, it's good. And I think that there's a lot of ways to just say that. And But it's also the lack of surrogates overall that I don't understand. Like Republicans, we form our own echo chambers. Yep. We build our own media ecosystems and we say the same thing over and over again. And as a result, our homogeneity, I always say this, you know, people are like diversity is a strength. And I think that was of course true. But for Republicans, politically homogeneity is very much a strength because yep. they just say the same thing to an audience that actually largely looks and lives in the same way. Can I just put a finer point on the surrogate question? Like, because I'm curious, because I also want to ask this, you know, Trump and Obama and Bush, all in very different ways, were domineering speechifiers, right? And were charismatic. And Biden, I think even himself would say that, like, this is not his 100% strength, right? Like, there are things that he's good at. I love that he actually does talk like a normal human. He talks the most like a normal human of, like, anybody in the Democratic Party. So he's good at what you're identifying. But, like, shouldn't the administration have maybe had to you don't pick somebody like you do in a campaign. Like, you know, you've been on a bunch of campaigns. You always have one surrogate who's like, man, that person's good. And I'm always I'm always banging down their door and being like, will you go on Fox? Like in the Romney campaign, we're always going John Sununu. We're like, you're willing to actually yeah. rip Obama's face off. I'm like these other guys. Will you just go on today? Like maybe they needed that. Maybe there needed to be a secretary of speechifying. I don't, you know what I mean? Or maybe Kamala should have been that. Maybe she can't, I don't know. What's your take on that? Like part of maybe they need to define that. They probably still do. I mean, look, I think there was a, whether it's right or wrong, a desire from the president on down to not be political attack dogs for like the first year or two, yeah. right? Because of the moment we were following. That has pros because the country needs to like resettle. It also has cons because you're very limited and when you critique an attack and so you're leaving um the other attacks unanswered right now is a different period of time is a campaign i i do think they're gonna have to figure out who those people are who the johnson Nunu, who they are there are people who do have that ability and capacity in the democratic right. party the challenge is there is some overlap or not overlap i should say of those people they're not going to go out there and say the economy's great a number of the best speakers are, are going to say I like Joe Biden, but he hasn't done enough on this, right. that, like, wh whatever. We need some hacks. This is your problem with the Democrats. You guys, the Democrats are just never satisfied. Well, you know, I mean, there's a role for that, right? Because there's a lot of raising of things that aren't good enough. But it is like a challenge in getting people to echo all that is good because they use their platforms good for them to say like all the things that are crappy sometimes. I saw this chart on Twitter today about like how, you know, the inflation number is going down. Sorry, if you're on yeah. podcast, you have to go to YouTube to see my finger. The inflation's going down and like the Inflation Reduction Act was passed like right here at the top of the curve. And it's like, yeah. you know, Trump would be like, Inflation Reduction Act reduced inflation, boom. And it's like, can we get one hack I don't know who it is. I'm, I guess I'll just pick on people we've had on this podcast. Can we have Chris Murphy or Tammy Baldwin? Can we get one of those? Can we get somebody out there, Brian Schatz, that is just like, I'm going to be a hack. I know it's not really true that the Inflation Reduction Act caused this thing, but I'm just going to say it because somebody has to say it. Is, or, or is that the wrong thing to do? Maybe that's not. I don't know. Look, I think if Joe Biden were sitting here in my office, your office, I don't know, he would say, yeah, I need more surrogates <laughs> out there talking about all of this. What is your advice on how to get them out there? So- it is something that he very much recognizes and wants. There is an interesting question here, though, I think, which is like how you run against Trump. Right. And I don't even know that I essentially know the answer. I really want to. I'm not. I know I'm not interviewing you guys, but I want to know. Please what you interview. Well, but is is this question of 
are you talking about the accomplishments and trying to like solidify support for them and help people understand it? Yes. Are you running against Trump? You're doing both yes. of them. What's the balance? How do you handle the legal issues? And some of it, I think, as they're figuring out the political campaign, to me, at least as an observer, somebody talks to them a lot, it's not fully resolved, right? Because the president and therefore the DNC are not talking about Trump's legal cases because of the tradition of it and ongoing whatever. The DCCC is, I don't know. I mean, what's right and what's wrong? What's the balance? It's kind of a big open-ended question, but what I don't know the full answer to. I have a strong opinion on this. Which is like, yeah, let's Joe Biden has to be the good newsman. What you just framed up is to me is not the balance. The balance to yeah. me is like, how do you deploy Joe Biden uh, when every time you see Joe Biden, you are also reminded that Joe Biden is an old man. And like, this is this is what the voters talk about, not the not the yeah. Republicans. They say Joe Biden is has dementia. Kamala Harris is running everything. Democrats say he is an old man. He is a nice man. Independent swing voters. You run into this issue, but I think Donald Trump's going to be holding big rallies. And he's going to get big numbers yeah. there. And he's going to sound like a lunatic, but like a cogent lunatic in the way that people are used to listening to Donald Trump sound like a lunatic. I think you deploy Joe Biden by sending him into crowds as a man. Like he walks into people and he puts his arm around people and he doesn't give speeches. But you see lots of yeah. action of him meeting and talking people and listening to them and that he is ribbon cuttings and talking about infrastructure and talking about the good economy and like being the man of good news. But you've got to get him out there more. I mean, I just think he has to be out there being like, things are good. The psychology of telling people things are good when they feel like... Is important. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Also, I mean, having worked for him for a little less than two years, I consider myself probably a borderline, probably an extrovert. He's like such an extrovert. It is like exhausting <laughs> his level of extrovertism. It's like he needs people. He loves people. He wants to be around people. So in a lot of ways, like that authentically would be something he would probably enjoy doing. They are getting him out. I mean, he's been doing more interviews. Not that that's exactly what you're saying, but I do think that's important, too. They have been getting him out more, which is good, doing more of these ribbon cuttings. But this debate, as you know, is like one that's within the Democratic Party, too, of like, are we just like running and attacking Trump? Are we like, what's the balance of things? And I don't, you know, it's an interesting one, but that makes a lot of sense to me. Can I offer, uh, this kind of relates back to the MSNBC stuff that I wanted to get to, and is it's not meant personally, it's like meant as a, something to talk about. It's like the Obama world had a lot of other, Obama was dynamic. But Obama world had a lot of dynamic people, right? Like David Axelrod is, uh, you know, Pluff did a lot, you know, spoke a lot. Uh, you know, Gibbs, we all know him. All the pod bros, you, you know, like we could go down the list, right? Like uh, Joe Biden was the vice president in that administration, you know, and Rom for a while, right? Like huge personalities who could go out, make news, deliver the attacks. Like when you're saying we're going to balance this, like Obama could go be positive and then Rom could go on TV and be like, you know, the Republicans are insane, right? You know what I mean? Why have all you guys retired? I guess is my question. Like, if we're talking about this vacuum of people, shouldn't a couple of you come off the side, back off the sidelines? Maybe you should tag out. You stayed longer than the rest of them. Shouldn't you be tagging back in some of those bros? I mean, listen, we can, ho I'm sure they're listeners. We can say, tag yourself back in. <laughs> I have done nearly 10 years of service in White Houses for two presidents. It was amazing, and I'm grateful, but. I think there is also a personality and a, mo and a moment. And I know I kind of talked about this, but it's like 
President Biden has people who worked for him for a long, long time. You know, people who worked for him for five years or 10 years were like newbies. I was like a newborn. (laughs) Right. I never found as a sidebar that bothered or agitated him. Like I felt like a few weeks in, I had like a great working relationship with him where I could talk to him about anything. You know, people reflect their boss in some ways and his kind of calm, measured empathy, somebody who wants to like dive into the crowd, wants to engage with members of Congress. Like that's kind of like his superpowers. And I think also the people who have worked for him for a long time, I wouldn't say all those people you mentioned that I love and worked with are like show horses. They work their tails off too. But like the people who surround Biden, that's not their... their... There was a little bit more celebrity. Say what you want about the McCain celebrity ad. Didn't work, you know, but there was something to that about Obama world, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, you you know, if the people who are, went to work for him, it was like you went and worked for a long shot candidate who was like the first black man right. you were trying to get to be the nominee whose middle name was Hussein. So you have to like be a little bit like... You got to have some cojones. He's inspiring. He's interesting. He's compelling. This is why it's always so funny, like when people refer to me or any of them as like members of the establishment, you're like, what what does that even mean, first of all? But also like, this is how we all got on the scene. It wasn't like we were kind of, you know, working for more established people, but also like all of those people, myself included, like we weren't in our first couple of years out there doing hits on TV. Yes, Rom was. And yes, David Axelrod and certainly they are personas of their own accord, but you know, yeah, you you grow fair. and you develop into yourself, too. So I don't know. <laughs> but yes, they need more surrogates for sure. Calling all surrogates. It feels like it's left <laughs> to us. We just feel like it's like the never Trumpers. We're the big. I mean, Jonathan Last, who writes for the book, is the biggest Joe Biden fan I know. I think that Zine said he's doing a good job. But I was like, maybe we need like a deputy chief of staff for just talking or something. I don't exactly know what the answer is, but just a, a new role. I want to do a couple of things on MS before. And then I want to hit you on a couple more politics things. Yeah. So like, how have you deprogrammed your brain from spokesperson brain to, you know, having to do what you do on TV? Like, how are you thinking about that? It's got to be a little bit of a challenge for everybody who does this. I mean, Nicole was on this who did this. There are a million other people, but like you, like yeah. worked for the guy that's still in the White House. So it is like a different animal. Yep. Like, how, how are you kind of navigating that internally? Like, I want to be fair. I want to be this, but I also know these people. You know what I mean? Like, how do you deal with that? I mean, it took me a couple of months to really reset, and it's probably still a work in progress, right? I mean, I think a lot about what value I have, what value I can offer, right? If I appear on someone else's show. Knocked that one out of the park. It's not like every hit we all do. You're like, wow, I really offered something great there. Speak for yourself. My hits are pretty solid across the board. (laughs) (laughs) Your hits are quite good and thoughtful, but I always think about what I can bring to the table and offer. And it is not, this is what Joe Biden's thinking, because frankly, I'm not working for him anymore and I'm not sitting in the Oval Office in meetings. So I can't even speak to that with the same level of knowledge I would have had a year and a half ago. What I can do, and actually Jen Palmieri, who's probably like a friend of the bull. Yes, she's probably. Oh, yeah. I I mean, Jen, I did the circus with her. And she said to me, think about how you can place people in the room of where things are happening, which is useful and valuable, right? Which is a, a good place to go, which is these are the kind of discussions you're considering in a moment like this. And I have been on all those rooms. I've led a lot of those meetings or these are some of the challenges that the White House has right now, because I have been there and you are discussing that internally. So the bar I kind of set for myself, and this doesn't mean I meet it every day, is like, I'm not going to gratuitously attack him just to prove myself, because that would not be authentic. I'm also not going to gratuitously 
go out every day and say everything is amazing and hunky-dory and great because it's not, you know, and I wouldn't have said that if I were there either. And what I try to think about when I'm doing interviews or things, and it's like, I have Jamie Raskin on on Sunday. I'm not, I'll ask him hard questions, but I'm not going to be attacking him because I respect him, right? And I think he's like a remarkable voice out there. But I've also had Republicans on. I will have more on people I don't agree with at all. You know, so what I've really tried to do is figure out when I'm appearing on other people's shows, but even when I'm doing my own, kind of what is the value add I can offer? How can I bring my experience, not just from Biden, people only know who I am because of that to the degree people do. I worked in politics and national security at the State Department for the White House on three presidential campaigns for 20 years. So it's like, how can I use that to bring clarity to things? And that's kind of how I think about it. But I ask a lot of people for advice about exactly this question, right? Because I think it's important for viewers that I'm authentic to who I am. I'm never going to go out and be like, yeah, there's something to be said about people who are against abortion. That wouldn't be authentic. But also kind of asking the questions that people want to know without like editing it because it would be a hard one for Democrats, if that makes sense. It just occurred to me that Tim and I also both want our own TV shows. And so like you really have had our dream career. I don't actually. I'm really happy in New Orleans. Thank you, though. In case anybody's listening, I'm, I don't want my own TV show. It seems like a, actually your deal sounds nice. I might take your deal. You only have to do it one day. How'd you only get one day? No, I have a Peacock show on Thursdays as okay. well. I appear on a lot of other shows. I fill in for people. I have a newsletter. I like I vacations. Nicole anchors 10 hours of TV a week. I turn it on and I'm like, she's going to tell me what's happening with all the legal things. It's amazing. I mean, Morning Joe has 20 hours a week. I mean, I've been on that show for four hours yeah. on a Friday. And by the end of that, I'm like, am I even forming English? What am I even offering here? And I don't even know how they must feel. I mean, I know that by the end of that, it's a lot of hours. So the Sunday show is a little different because we're not typically doing news of the day. We're doing kind of bigger picture. Like, I mean, I love a good call out of a hypocrisy and a read because it's a growing industry, unfortunately, but it gives lots of fodder to discuss. We give more time to guests. We spend like a usually one day a week. I spend like half a day with somebody to kind of get to know. So it's just a, it's a little bit of a different structure. Yeah. So I think it's cool you've been on the road. You've been on the road too I'm a liking lot. those interviews. That's needed. I know. I love that. That's what I love about doing the circus. I love that. And we've been on the road as a viewer. I love that. It does make me uh, wonder. One of the other questions as we do, you know, kind of the bio stuff here is like we all, we're talking in the green room. We all have five-year-olds. Everybody here has a five-year-old on this podcast. Yeah. How are you doing that? <laughs> I want to know about the parent scheduling in your home. Like, how are you communicating with your husband? I need some tips, I guess, because you're even busier than me and I'm struggling. <laughs> we're forgetting. Like, Toulouse is going to get left at school one day this fall, I promise. Well, it's possible for my kids as well. I have not figured out the magical system here. So if any listeners have magical systems, please DM me and let me know how to do it. And then I will share it with Sarah and Tim or DM all of us when I'm on it. I'm kind of obsessive about like I send my husband invites about everything, right? Like birthday party. Here it is. Who's picking up on different days? Who's dropping off on different days? I do drive him borderline crazy because, you know, in a relationship, it's like you almost are always talk with kids. It's like you're always talking about the schedule and logistics. It's like. That is what is so hard. It's and I I feel like I'm such a downer. Like I'm like, let's like talk about something fun and then let's spend 30 minutes talking about the schedule for the next two weeks. So I'm kind of the downer in the house because there's just a lot of moving parts. As we all know, there's so many moving. My kids go to different camps. 
you know, there's like play dates. They go to two different schools because my son has been in preschool. So when you decided to do the traveling show, was your husband like, how about maybe the home studio? <laughs> well, you know, he knows that if I'm happy, like this guy, I'm going to ask you the same question. If I am enjoying. I'm asking for tips because I'm looking for tips on how, to, how to deliver the news about my fall schedule to Tyler. I do try to be honest with myself, and I'm not just saying this because I'm like sitting in MSNBC right now. It is like a really great place to work. And I try to be honest with myself about what will break the system. And this is, I feel like, something I didn't really learn how to do until probably I hit 40 is like being honest with like, I would really like to do that, but I just can't because, you know, I was like, there was one thing I was potentially going to do at the end of next week, but then I'm going to be in New York the following week, you know, and you just like, there's certain things where you just have to be like, that's going to break the system. I can't, I mean, if it's like a good friend, like, or if it's a growing friend, no pressure, but like, you know, I would love to go to their book parties, but I can't go to every book. You know, it's like all these things, you just have to say no to things, even when you would like to be there and you'd like to go, because it's really like time is not free. And I have to really think about the broad picture of things of like, if I'm doing something that I'm not with my kids, right? There's certain things for work, like traveling and doing things. I love doing that. Like you, I just think you get to know people so much better. You see different sides of them. If I had no kids and like wasn't married, I'd probably like still be at the State Department traveling the world or something, right? Sarah, sounds like uh, me and Jen are in charge of the calendars in our household. Who's in charge of the calendar in your household? I'm the bad one. I'm the one that, you know, gets the calendar <laughs> invite sent to me and then still says, what are we doing this weekend? And yeah, I'm a nightmare. My wife hates me. There are memes online about this. I really, I feel like maybe like yeah. our collective partners should like be on a group <laughs> chain of, or you and our collective partners <laughs> should be on a group chain where it's like, I'm sometimes I'm like, how should I communicate it? Is the Morse code <laughs> going to work? My husband is so amazing and like pays all the, you know, you have a breakdown of things in your you relationship, right? You got to break it down. Right? Yeah. Are there plenty of things that I don't do? Ton, ton, ton of things. I just do a lot of the calendar and like workday party stuff. I have one more question for you and then we got to get to politics. I'm going to let Sarah take the lead on politics, but I have to ask you this. Never asked you about this, but I bring it up a lot. Yeah. The picture of you on the day that Trump comes in. The picture oh. of you. And it's actually mentioned okay. in my book, I think. I don't know that I mentioned your name, but I was like, when I was doing it, I was all of you, right? Like I had that same face oh that God. all of you had. I had all of your faces. I was so horrified. Now, actually, not the day Trump comes in. It's the day they meet, right? No, day after the election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the election day? The photos from the election day. I thought it was from the day they met. It's the Wednesday. I'm almost positive. It's the Wednesday. Okay. So Tuesday night, Everything went down. It was like yeah. shock. Now that morning, first of all, I was at this like watch party or something. And there were a bunch of, it was like one, I think Penny Pritzker did. It was very nice, lovely. And everybody kind of thought Hillary Clinton was going to win. We're like, oh, we're going to welcome our friends in. Thursday's going to be great, right? I was one of the only people who could be in touch with, you know how they get those old rules of the hatchback, who could be in touch with the Clinton campaign. So I was getting kind of constant updates of what was happening. At some point, Jack Lou, who was the Treasury Secretary at the time, said to me, like, I'm going to go home and watch this in my pajamas, right? <laughs> because it was like things turned in Florida. That's when I remember being like, oh, shit. Right. I can say shit. Yeah, right. OK. Yeah. So you like, can, oh, please. Say um, shit. And we were up kind of all night. Right. Because it was figuring out everything from like, who's going to call who when? Had she called and conceded? And then Obama like should call and invite him to the White House because we still should do that. He was going to be the incoming president, right? I was up like all night. What a novel concept, the uh, peaceful transition of power. 
So none of us had slept. Um, I definitely, if I had known that picture was going to be viral, I would have like maybe brushed my hair and like put makeup on or something. But no, like, it was perfect. Who cares? But it was the next day. Now, before that photo, I had had, and this is going to sound dramatic, and I'm sure the right wing is going to like attack me over this. Bring it on. Bring it on, trolls. They don't listen to us anymore. <laughs> I know, but like, you know what I mean? Before that, I had had a number of people come into my office worried about their well-being. I mean, people who were immigrants, Muslim Americans, members of the LGBTQ community on a personal level, like digesting it and thinking like, what does this mean for me? Right. We had a meeting in Josh Arnest's office. Josh, who's like the best boss human ever. I'm like hysterically crying, telling everyone it's going to be okay. And Josh is like, Josh is like, he's kind of like, I don't know. He was like, okay, everyone. And was very calm. We all went to the Oval Office. It was so perfect. We all went into the Oval Office. Obama talked to everybody. What did he say? Well, he said, basically, this is everybody's digesting this. And this is difficult. And it's not the outcome I wanted either. I don't remember the exact quote. But the Bush team, we didn't know all the things that were going to happen at that point. But still, this was the right thing to say, I think, to the team was like, they welcomed us in and we had the best transition possible with the Bush team. And we need to welcome them into and treat them with grace and not say anything publicly. It was the whole period of the, that transition was like a split personality situation because I was like internally, but externally, it was like, we are very excited to provide briefing books or whatever. Earlier in that day, we'd also had a senior staff meeting where grown members of the cabinet were like emotional about all of this, right? Because you're seeing all your work that's going to be flushed down the drain in a moment. So all of that happened before that picture. But yes, then we were all standing outside. I think Susan Rice is in that picture too, right? I, there's a bunch of people. Just Sebastian says it was from November 9th. Uh, this thing about all that that pisses me off so much is still today, even among the quote unquote normal right wingers, like the conventional wisdom is that the Obamas and the deep state and everybody tried to undermine Trump during the transition and all of this. And it's just like, no, I no. mean, like you guys handled that like, unbelievably, astonishingly well as well as could possibly could we imagine. Obama meets with him. People attend the inauguration. You handed off briefing. But like everybody did the right thing. Yeah. Despite the horror of what was incoming and despite just how, you know, corrupt and insane yeah. he was at accepting it. And yet still, even in spite of that, like get no credit for it. It's true. And then I was like working in the transition for the horror show that was that transition, which was kind of the opposite of that. Right. It was like withholding information, withholding national security information, withholding information about COVID. Attempting a coup. It was a, a different from that. Sarah, we're running out of time. So we had to cut down on the politics, which is great. Now, I mean, this has been all politics, but like the news, we had to cut down on the news. But we got to do a couple of things. So you go. What burning news question do you have for Jen Psaki before we let her go? I got a mean one or like a tough one. OK, great. Go to it. Let's do it. Which is. Let's say Trump's the nominee. Yeah. Or even if he's not, even as DeSantis. I have said the way that Republicans are going to run, and this is not me being cruel. This is because they're they're going to run against a, a dead Joe Biden and an alive Kamala Harris, right? They are going to say, this guy is old. Nikki Haley, weirdly, who's not running like the meanest campaign of you know, a long list of horrible campaigns. But she was the first one to kind of break the seal on this. And so like- what should they do about the fact that Joe Biden is very old and Kamala Harris is pretty unpopular? And I, you know, when I talk to the voters, part of my concern is that, like, the swing voters. Yeah. I've sat in a bunch of groups where I'm like, all right, head to head. Joe Biden, Ron DeSantis, Biden. Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Biden. Yeah. Kamala Harris, Donald Trump. And everyone goes, mm, 
Yes, I think we've seen that in polling. We've seen that in um, <laughs> arguments. Uh, we've seen that in focus groups. You know, I don't have a magical answer here, so I will do my best. Sure. Um, but what I will say is that back when I was there, which is now 14, 15 months ago, longer than that, and long before that, the issue that also popped as a problem in polls and kind of focus groups and kind of those weekly bubbles was age and the argument that he is not up to the job or whatever accusation was being made. And I say that because it's not like this is a shock to them a week ago, right? right. There is a right. knowledge that that is going to be the biggest, the most prime attack against him from the right wing. If it's Trump, he's literally three years younger, right? I mean, he was like a freshman when Biden was a senior. If you're, I mean, it's not you know, maybe he's like just not in public as much, but he is not. So this is where the alive Kamala Harris question element comes in. Well, I, I mean, it's two older potential presidents True. running against each other. I don't know if that changes the dynamics or not, but that to me is kind of a question. They know that it's a challenge. One of the things that I think they will do and will have to do is harden the critiques. Yes, he's about to, about to be the positive news guy, but I also think people have to see the kind of passion and pep in his step that he does have about mm -hmm. the contrast that needs to be drawn, right? And mm -hmm. he's not the first person that says the don't compare me against the almighty, compare me against the alternative. Now, hardly the first person. It is like his favorite thing to say. But the more they can harden that contrast, you don't have to talk about the intricacies of like the Mar-a-Lago documents case. It's about like fighting for our democracy versus not, protecting the national security of the country versus not. Honestly, protecting like the sanctity of the military, given recent attacks and not. And the quicker and more authentically but hardened that they can get to that contrast, I think is better because it shows a spirit and a passion in him that people don't see as much when he is cutting ribbons, which he needs to do. I also think that, you know, when I was traveling with him, sometimes those day trips are a little bit of a grind for everyone, including him. You know, it's just like you're just traveling a lot. But when we took members of Congress with him, which is like was not true for Obama's like direct opposite, he was like loved it. And it was like a way better day surrounding him with people, whether they are like elected officials or not particularly popular. So maybe not the best examples, but all sorts of people, teachers, small business owners, whoever, um, I actually think is something he really enjoys. And that does show the spirit and humanity of who he is. Yes, that is his superpower. His superpower is that connecting with human beings. It is not giving the, an address to 20,000 people. So those would be two of my things. And some of it is like superficial. I mean, I have people have all sorts of ideas about this, but like the one of the greatest things that happened to them was when he went to Ukraine. He didn't go to Ukraine to show that he was like, you know, agile, but you could see even, and I don't know what you saw, Sarah, in focus groups around then, but you could see that people were like, oh, that guy went to Ukraine on a train. Maybe he is fine. So I don't know. I, I don't have the magical answer, but like I do think it's like a combination of a couple of those things. I have to ask you, yeah. by the laws of the news gods, if Joe Biden is a yeller. I, oh, my God. And if you were okay, yelled at. I'm so glad you asked me about this because the context. <laughs> it's so funny. I have worked for so many people and the context of my comments were that. I know that I am in with somebody. Just, I'm sorry. For context, there's an Axios yeah. story where they called him Old Yeller, which I thought was a little rude. Their one example is in a story about how you said something to the effect of like, if you haven't gotten yelled at by Joe Biden yet, it's like a freshman year orientation. Or I, That's not the quote, but that was the gist of what you said. So the context of that was this frame of questioning that people often ask me, which is, was it hard to go work for him in an environment where you were new? 
and you were not a part of his team for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And I would always said and would say again, I was worried about that, that I didn't really know him. I hadn't traveled with him on the campaign. I didn't know him in the same way that I knew Obama or knew Rom or knew John, K- whatever. And that I said to him early on, I know that I'll be in with you when you like get mad at me about something. Because in my experience of working directly, and look, I traveled around the world with John Kerry. I traveled with Obama. I traveled with Ron. It was the moment where they got, I don't mean like screen, you know, whatever. But I mean, when they were honest with you or gave you direct critique or yelled where you were like, okay, okay. Now, now we have like an honest relationship and we can have a back and forth about where we go in disagreements and that that is actually a healthy thing. I actually did not see him, in my experience, yell that much at all. Frankly, if I were him, I would have yelled way more because the problems we were facing were <laughs> shitty. And all, often there weren't great options. It was a really weak story. The, the two examples I have, one of them was from 2008. Dude, this is a plant from the Biden administration. These are exactly the kind of stories he needs, right? <laughs> He's throwing water bottles at people's heads. Look how spry he is. I mean, I was like, should I clarify? Like, I actually think I said to him and others, I know that he trusts me when he yells at yeah, me the, the actual first time. quote, Sebastian gave it to us. Uh, here's the quote from Jen Psaki was, I said to Biden multiple times, I know we'll have a really good trusting relationship when you yell at me the first time. And then Whipple notes, Psaki wouldn't have to wait long. You wouldn't have to wait long. When did he yell at you the first time? When was that fateful day? There were certainly times where we'd have a discussion, honestly, about something I said or something which I said differently or when he wanted me to say Then the pool of like how he speaks in English. And I've really tried hard to do this. I do remember early on, this wasn't a yell, but where he said, how are you describing how people get access to these benefits from one of the COVID bills? Well, first I say, if you're a non-filer, he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Nobody talks like that, you know? That was probably the example I gave. Um, so, no, I he is spry, but I didn't really experience him yelling at me. I said that repeatedly to him because in my experience with bosses, you kind of pass a Rubicon when you have like an, a disagreement with them, which I think can be healthy. That sounds like a little crazy when I say Sarah, it. you get the last question and then and then we'll have two minutes for rapid fire. No, first of all, I love that. I believe in those frank exchange of views Yeah, in a healthy work environment. Okay, so we talked about our Earth 2 universe in terms of like, yeah. Stefanik is normal. We have a moderate Republican Party. What's the future of the Democratic well, Party? And I'm going to set, or, and like, or even what would you like it to be? Because I think Joe Biden becoming the nominee was in many ways a bunch of people just bowing to the reality of electability at a moment when electability was the priority. But, you know, they might have said, my vote's for Joe Biden, but my heart's with Bernie Sanders or my heart's with Elizabeth Warren, which is not my favorite. And when I see people like Josh Shapiro and Governor Whitmer and sort of these pretty successful swing state governors, I see the potential for a future Democratic Party that really is trying to pull in these disaffected Republicans like us. But I'm not sure that's where the id of the Democratic Party is going. Like, where do you think it's going? Well, I mean, the country is becoming more progressive on certain issues. Uh, I think it's fair to say over the last 10 or 20 years. And I certainly think the party is not but and I would say um, I do think what's exciting and what has been really probably one of the best parts of and I love my job, but one of the best parts of my current job here is getting to know and spending time with some of the people you just mentioned and others. I mean, Westmore, Gavin Newsom, others who are governors in states and are really a combination of all of them are the future of the party um, because they are not just young, but they are young. Like they will be around for a while, a lot of these people, right? 
They are bold. They are kind of effective at pushing back in a way that I don't find to be mean or below the belt, but kind of do punch back, which is something that I think for a while the party struggled with. Even I worked at the Kerry campaign, right? I mean, it's like, you know, so I don't know politically because it's impossible to know. People always ask me like, in four years, like, will so-and-so be the nominee? And it's like, I have no idea because I have no idea. Like, it could be someone I don't even know yet. But I do think there's a model of, and a lot of these governors fit that model of kind of smart, substantive, bold, direct to the point without alienating swaths of people that I think could be a portion of the future of the party. Even as I see, even end, that the politics of the party, but also the country are becoming more progressive. Okay, we have 30 seconds. The clock is starting. We're into the rapid fire section. This is Jen Psaki of Inside with Jen Psaki. Jen Psaki, number one, has there ever been a time where you're like, you know, I think the Republicans had this one right? Yes, I'm sure. Solyndra, Bill Clinton with the intern, closing down schools oh. at COVID. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just fucking with um, <laughs> Yes. Oh, God. I, it's okay. I, yes, for sure. Um, I mean, I would say... I, you don't like any of my nominees, though. No, no, I don't like Solyndra. That's not a good one. <laughs> Closing down schools for as long as it happened. Yes, I think that's fair. Okay, we'll give that one to you. All right, next. Rank which of your bosses you'd most likely to have been stranded on Air Force One with? John Kerry, Barack Obama, Joe Biden. Oh, my God. Probably John Kerry. Whoa! I love all of them. It's always the ones who are the lamest in public or the most fun in private. It's just always the case. We can save that one for the next time you're on. The White House press secretary whose past briefing you look to for a model. Who did you think was the best? I mean, Mike McCurry. Sean Spicer. Really? Well, he also had been at the State Department before me. I thought he was just remarkably good. The Trump folks aside, honestly, whatever. But like I talked to many, many of them before I started the job. Final cue. Barbie or Oppenheimer? Which movie will you be seeing in the theater first? The other option, not Barbie. Neither? <laughs> or Oppenheimer? Oppenheimer is going to be really good. You're going to have to check it out. Oppenheimer is going to be big. You know, it's going to be an epic. Oh, yeah. That's way more up my alley. You don't want to see Barbie? Not really. It's going to be fascinating. There's a South China Sea conflict. Anyway. I mean, maybe, but the other one is the first choice. <laughs> Thank you for spending so much time with us. Thank you, guys. It's been a good show, a long show. I will see you on Inside of the Gen Saki next time you have me on. The last time you had me on, me and Jamar predicted that Vivek Ramaswamy was going to be in third place in the Republican primary. He already is. He already is. You just got to, you know, you just got to bring us on. I know. Look at you guys. I've just been trying to get Sarah because I'm kind of like a fangirl and we will do that. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm a mutual fangirl. Mutual fangirl. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, ring up. Get Sarah on. Terrific. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Happy to broker this. We'll see you guys soon. <laughs>